Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Stephen Robinson. Thanks for being on the show, Stephen. Thank you very much. Stephen is a born certified specialist in federal taxation law by the Ohio State Bar Association and president of Strategic Property Exchange, LLC. Ohio Bar Association born certified specialist in federal tax law since 2001, named six times Ohio super lawyer by law of politics media in the area of taxation law from 2003 through 2008. It's impressive. Steve earned his BA degree and his JD degree from the University of Cincinnati and his LLM degree in business and taxation from the University of Bridgeport. Stephen, thanks so much for your time. I I know you're going to provide so much value to listeners and and what we're going to discuss today, but give them a little bit about who you are, what your focus is right now, and, and let's dive in. Sure. Thank you very much. So uh, we have a, so I'm a tax lawyer and we also have an exchange company. And so when I say exchange company, that means that we help facilitate people who sell real estate, take those proceeds and reinvest them into other real estate so they don't have to pay the tax. And that of course is the big thing they love. If you can help someone save a million dollars in tax, you have a friend for life and they'll send you Irish whiskey Christmas time every year. So anyway, so we handle these property transactions all over the country and overseas as well. And the, the way if you had to point it, you know, pinpoint what it is that makes us different than other people is that we will review every document, loan documents, every kind of document, operating agreements to make sure that what the client wants to achieve is actually achieved. So we're not trying to put off their other advisors like CPAs or lawyers. We're here kind of a second pair of eyes to make sure that what they want to accomplish doesn't back get accomplished. Because typically, their other advisors um, have so many other clients that they can't keep on, on top of these quick changes where someone will call in at 245, the closing to three, by the way. By the way, I want to borrow twice as much money. Is that okay? And I want to go to Bimney with the money. Is that okay too? And then you have to like get talk them off the cliff, right? Okay, no, you can't do that, right? Don't do that. Anyway, so our job is to kind of manage and monitor that process. Wow. So you, know, you brought up a great point too. I mean, you're reading every document. So you're making sure that the client, what the client wants actually happens. I mean, it's, I know it's common that we don't read all the documents, right? If a PPM, private placement memorandum is 100 pages, you know, how many people are actually reading that? Well, they're designed actually, so no one wants to read them, right? Because there's, there's actually subliminal go to sleep messages on the pages, right? And you're like, you're, you're thinking, is that really an ancient Greek? Gosh, my Greek is kind of rusty. I don't know. So anyway, you have to force yourself to get through that. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, we wouldn't understand it, even if we did read it. That's right. That's right. So that's why, and that's what I mean, you do for people, right? I mean, you, you are reading those documents because you understand the Greek terminology and you can explain it and make sure we are, we're protected, really. We're getting what we're signing up for. That's right. So we translate it back into like standard English, you know, from words meant to confuse you into something that's basic. And as a consequence, you know, when the, um, the real estate market had, a, it's called a downturn, right? 11 years ago, you know, our clients had, had gone into properties like these that were syndicated and none of our clients had any problems. I mean, none of them, none of their properties blew up 
because we were careful in making sure that we they understood what they were getting and it was a solid investment. You know, there was, you know, I won't name names, right? That's not polite to name names, but the, the, some companies went under and the client suffered greatly. But those were not the ones that we had advised people on. So can you give us some examples of, of documents that are like a must to be reviewed by somebody like yourself? You know, if I'm going into a, under a contract, I'm fixing to sign something, I'm fixing to invest. What are some documents that are like, okay, you know, I, I definitely need to contact somebody like yourself to, to review? So a good example, so far off the bat, of course, you have the purchase and sale agreement, which of course everybody would be looking at. But then a second one, let's say, is the operating agreement. So we had this recently, we had a sale of a, uh, of a property in Texas, and in the operating agreement, there was two kinds of payouts. And there was a payout while the property was operating, which, was, which benefited the managers, and then there was a payout for the owners when the property was sold, where there was a 10% swing in the payout. And so when the, and then the accountant had not picked up on that on the tax return, he showed the higher payout for the managers rather than the higher payout for the owners. And so when we were reading through it, we noticed that the client was entitled to an additional 10% of the sale proceeds, right? A big number, right? Because I think the property sold for $20 million or something. And so we were like, no, see, see the words here? It says he gets more, right? And that, of course, you know, was a, was a big stink when we discovered that. Another example is loan documents, right? Where they say, I'm going to borrow a million dollars. And you say, that's great. That's just the right amount you need for your exchange. But then you read the loan document. It says, no, I'm, I'm borrowing $10 million, right? And I'm actually using the money to create a, um, a gold straddle partnership in, um, in the Ukraine, right? And you're like, no, no, wait, you can't borrow that additional money on this exchange because it's not going to the property. So you know, loan documents, another example of, of tedious, boring documents you have to read, uh, operating agreements, other side agreements that suddenly appear out of nowhere. We have a side agreement. You know, can I see that? And then heretofore, undiscovered document shows up. So a side agreement, would that be something like, you know, you get, we get the contract, whatever it may be, but then two weeks later, we get this side agreement that... Right. A side agreement that it might say something like, you know, I'm going to give... Uh, I'm going to give you know 10% of the profits to this to a, a developer or something or someone who was involved in it originally. And so many times what we'll say is, well, that's okay as long as it's treated as a profits interest because that can be treated as a sale expense and as a you know. So you don't have to worry about do I now suddenly have a partner in the deal that I didn't know I had before, and then they would have to go forward into the new deal and they don't want to. And so again, it's it's kind of addressing. Who gets what and what does this mean? So who is your, who's your typical client? Is it, most, is it going to be syndicators and, and passive investors or is it going to be mostly passive investors? Yeah, so it's, it's going to be owners of real estate and it could either, they can either be in the form of an entity like a partnership or you know, a trust or whatever it might be or, or in, in their individual names and they could be people that are, you know, that are much older and then they're looking to, in the case of syndication, let's say, for example, the husband's passed away and the wife wants to sell her 40 apartment buildings and she wants to buy something that does not involve management. So it should be a typical investor going into a passive investment. Or people who inherited property years ago, it was a very common when the estate tax was much higher that people were gifting property left and right. So now they own this property since 1980 at a very low basis and now they're selling it because they're getting a good deal, but they don't want to manage the property. They have no understanding of how to manage property. Uh, you know, they, they might be, you know, an orthodontist in Pasadena, California, right? They have no desire to like manage property. 
So how long does it typically take to review those documents? If, let's say I'm a passive investor or I'm going to give send you a, you know, a PPM or uh, you know, the operating agreement, those documents. Well, what kind of turnaround time should we expect? Uh, so, okay, so the PPM, that's a good one, right? That's big. Uh, and so um, if we use a sleeping aid, which keeps us awake, like we use high energy drinks, then we can read those faster. But I would say typically, whereas uh, our normal turnaround time, you know, we try to get stuff done the same day, maybe the next day. If it's a more complicated, if it's a PPM, for example, it might be a couple days and then we have to set up the conference client to explain what's going on. And you might have a kind of a back and forth going on. It might take you know, a couple, three days. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. That's fast. And maybe you could elaborate on, we could use that same example you talked about. You got this, uh, this widow, she, you know, her husband managed this property for however many years and she's, she doesn't want to manage it. And she wants to now become a passive investor. And so, you know, she's going to, you know, 1031 into, into a syndication. And as a syndicator, I want to be prepared to take, you know, that 1031 money. And so, you know, I want to be able to provide that avenue for her. And so how do I make sure that I'm prepared as a syndicator to, uh, to be able to allow that 1031 exchange into, into my deal? Right. So the first thing that you get into is, number one, it cannot be a partnership. So we get that question a lot, or we see it. Someone will say, I own this building. I'm going to sell this and take the proceeds. I'm going to buy a 5% interest in a partnership. Okay? That doesn't qualify under 1031. Even though there are some people who suggest that it might, that's just kind of whispering in the wood, right? So that doesn't count. You cannot buy an interest in a partnership. So your choices are, number one, you can elect to be treated as what's called a Delaware Statutory Trust, DST for short. And so when you buy in, you are treated as an undivided interest in the whole property. When you sell out, same thing. So if you're a DST structure, that works. Also, if you buy it as a tenant in common, which means a tenant in common would be, let's say, for example, you and I and my six brother-in-laws, you know, we all own something together. And so, you know, we all own a one-eighth interest in this property. And so because it's commonly owned as tenants in common, then we can do that as an exchange. But many times, you know, there's a confusion between buying in as a partnership interest and buying in as a DST. Um, there's still a lot of promoters who have properties that are being sold as partnerships, but those don't qualify. And then one recent thing that's come up that's very interesting is you will buy in and then they will immediately refund money back to the taxpayer, to the, to the investor. And they'll borrow too much and, they'll, and they will then you know, distribute this money back to them. And so that, it does not qualify. I mean, among, among the exchange intermediaries in the country, right, we, we belong, we have a trade association, and among those people who know what they're talking about, they're, you know, they're teachers, they're lecturers, you know, we have lots of degrees, things like that. I mean, that's not considered legitimate to buy in and immediately receive your money back. But it's interesting, but it gets people excited, right? A client finds out that he's going to buy it and get all their money right back that generates a lot of excitement. So you have to probably spend at least a half an hour explaining to them, no, it sounds great, but that will make your exchange fail. Interesting. So it cannot be a part, you can't uh, buy into a partnership with a 1031. That's right. All right. Okay. So how should, I mean, I was just thinking about like the structure of a syndication and, you know, and some people say, I can take 1031 or I can't take, you know, 1031 or maybe I don't want to. And I, I just wonder like what, uh, what the difference was and, you know, if we could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, the main difference is, is that as a syndicator, you say to yourself, 
do I want 1031 exchange money? Is that something I want to do? And if the answer to that is yes, then you have to structure your transaction either as a Delaware statutory trust, which is a, a partnership that's made this election. And what it does is while it allows you to receive this money, it also restricts your ability. There are significant restrictions and limitations as to how you run the property. Uh, so you, uh, you cannot uh, make major repairs on the property. You cannot change or refinance the loan. Among those are probably the two biggest. And so think of it as, you know, you're putting everyone onto a little like ice flow and you're pushing them out in the North Atlantic and you can't do anything. It just kind of runs its course. And the these DSTs came originally from the old, if you remember the old um, Sally Mae, Fannie, um, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type loans where people would buy into these loan portfolios, but there could be no changes with the structure or the investment. And you would simply receive your money. And if it's sold, you receive your principal. But, but the trustee took really no actions to maintain these investments. Um, and that's the way these DSTs work. And so they work best if you have like a single tenant, really large property that is run on a triple net lease basis. That is really the ideal for these. It would be very hard to do that on a big apartment complex because you're going to have people calling all the time and saying that my sink is stopped up or my kitchen caught on fire or my child just fell through the window into the pool below and there was no water in it. Stuff like that. You know, the normal maintenance things you deal with in a, in a, a apartment building. So what about uh, doing a 1031 from, you know, one syndicated deal to another and, you know, help people, I guess, be prepared for that. Or maybe the person, the syndicator who's in that situation, we're coming up, you know, uh, we're fixing to exit this deal. We want to be prepared to uh, 1031. So typically what happens is, is that let's say, for example, so there's two general rules about exchanges. One is, let's say I sell a building for a million dollars. I have 400,000 of cash and 600,000 of debt. So when I go into my next transaction, I know that I have to buy a property for a million dollars and I can have no more than 60% debt on that property. Unless I buy up, if I buy something higher, I can have more debt. But the point is, is that when you buy into these syndicated investments, going into them, you have to make sure that you're not borrowing too much money, number one. And so you have this range where investors are saying, okay, I'm going to borrow a certain amount of money. Sometimes when they borrow money, though, they because they're buying up, they're buying a larger property piece, they have a lot more debt. And so when they come out of these, sometimes they're surprised at how much they have to buy the second time. So they may have had a very small investment of, let's say, you know, 400000 They put all their cash in. And when it's sold later because of the debt on the syndicated deal, then they have this much larger amount of, um, they say their share of the sale is now $2 million. And they're like, well, I wasn't really prepared to buy a property for $2 million. And that's a much larger deal for me. And so part of the issue is getting the debt and equity fraction close. Therefore, you're not surprised on the, on, when you sell out of it. You know, rather than not paying any attention to the debt equity mix going in, and then when you come out, you're like, well, I had no idea that I was going to buy a property for $2 because all I sold when I went in was 400000 And so I guess under, having a clear understanding of what the debt equity mix is and trying to get close, because there's lots of deals out there, and the debt, is, and the debt mixes are all different, right? Everyone kind of has their space in the market. 
half debt, 60, 70, 80, you know, percent. And then you have like the zero coupon type ones that are like 95% debt for people who are doing foreclosure exchanges or a coffin exchange, you know, where they have almost no cash, but they're going to buy something, let the income amortize out the debt. And so you just have to be very careful about what your mix is, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It does. And But I, I wanted to go back to uh, the documents a little bit and, and us elaborate on that a little bit. And, you know, I want to just ask you, though, you know, how do you like to see documents prepared? You know, if somebody's sending you a PPM or, you know, is there anything, any kind of like red flags that jump out to you and say, oh, wait a minute, you know, this guy's a, he's a newbie or, or this is, you know, this is not something that, uh, you know, that you want to probably invest in because of this or, you know, how do you like to see, you know, when you see those documents, what says, okay, this guy, you know, this is a solid operator here. So two things I look for. Number one is, is the sponsor, do they have a long history of being involved in the real estate world and they know the business and so you know that what they're picking are solid properties or is this someone who just got started and they're, you know, they normally are financial intermediaries where they're just putting money together, buying a property and then walking and then they essentially are walking away from it, but they have a manager obviously that's running it, but their involvement pretty much ended when everyone bought in. And so you want people, obviously, that have a long-term interest in the real estate world. And number two, you go through these materials and you basically see what are the fees being charged. And of course, they make it, it'll make it easy on you to find those. They're, it's like the SEC requires, let's say, 20 pieces of information, but they didn't say put them all in the same spot, right? They're scattered throughout the whole document, usually written in Greek, upside down, and footnotes, you know, for you to find this stuff. So... It's kind of a, you know, it's a fun process to find this stuff, but you have to kind of determine, you know, is, are the fees being charged fair? You know, is the amount of money being charged on the upfront, is that a fair, what are the terms of the debt? That's a big deal, you know, because at some point in time, when will the debt term out? Is it it a five-year debt, seven-year debt, 10-year debt? Because you want to be able to have a long enough debt term that you're not forced to sell at a bad time, right? There's always cycles in the real estate business. And you don't want to be forced to sell out at a time when the market is down. So the longer the term, the more flexibility you have in terms of when can you exit this investment. So the loan terms are important. The fees are important. The experience of the syndicators are important. Those are all keys. And, you know, and then what, you know, if things go badly, and there's always that chance, right, of that happening. And what are the, what's the fallback position? What's plan B on this? Like it. No, that's some great advice. Great tips. And even including that fallback position or what's going to happen when this happens. That's awesome. And so, you know, changing gears a little bit, what's been the, the hardest part of this syndication journey for you? I know, you know, you're in a different position than say like an operator or something like that, but, but what's been the hardest part about this business for you? So for our job as educator to our client, right? So we have to take what appears to be to them, they may look up and find five deals on the internet or through a broker or something. And for them, all five are equal, right? They look at them, they all look the same, but they're not the same because they all have their unique characteristics and they have their different risks, reward type scenario. And you have to say to yourself, you know, what is, what kind of property is it? You know, what is the long-term risk? What would happen if the, if the operator went bankrupt? you know, things like that, you know, what would happen to the property if you have like a, a chicken licking, you know, a restaurant that's in the shape of a large rooster flying away, 
and thinking, well, you're just going to have to bulldoze that, right? If that thing goes under, no one's going to want the chicken lick it. You know what I mean? But if it's something that could be reused again, or it's, it's located in an area that's, that is still decent, then that property can be recycled into something else. You just want to avoid, and I'm sure, hopefully there's not a real company called Chicken Ligand, but if there is, I'm sorry in advance for that. So from, from your standpoint, from your experience, what, what is your, your best advice for how syndicators should take care of investors? I think that, number one, they have to really decide what is their target market, number one, and who do they want to address. And with that, then they want to be able to tailor they're offering to those clients, as opposed to kind of doing a, a broad brush, you say, I want to be able to target this particular kind of investor. And that might mean, what is my level of debt? It might mean, what is, you know, how many people am I bringing in? You know, how, how will this property be managed? How long will the term of debt be? And so again, because 90% of the people coming in are not going to have a lot of prior knowledge on how these things work. And so I think that the more effort you make to educate them, the more comfortable they're going to be and the less potential um, blowback there might be in the future. And so you, you, know, you don't want to try to be all things to all people. That's good stuff. Because it's yeah, a yeah. market, right? There's a lot of people that are retiring, a lot of people that are getting older. You can't stop the aging process, right? And so you know, if you want to be in this market, there is a big market for retired investors, right? Who don't want to pay taxes. That's their favorite thing in the world. Don't pay taxes, right? So if you can provide a solid investment tailored to them, you know, you, you, have, you have all the business in the world that you can take care of. What's been the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Uh, I can't stop talking. <laughs> so it's basically, you know, our job as advisor and educator to our clients to make sure they're getting exactly what they want and there's no, no stone left unturned. And if you basically knock yourself out every day doing your best job, they'll tell two or three people. You do a bad job, they'll tell 40 people. And so, you know, if you do your best job, that's, you, then that takes care of itself. Great advice. And before we have to go, Steve, how do you like to give back? Well, I think that for me, one thing is, is helping other lawyers and, and CPAs understand what they're getting into. And so rather than simply giving them the answer, you explain how you got to the answer so that they can, then they can take that information and use it in the future. So they can be, because a well-educated lawyer and CPA are much more valuable to their clients and they can do a better job. Because again, it is, um, they don't necessarily have the time to research this. And so we're also a resource for them. So if they want to call me up anytime, you know, I say, well, I won't say day or night, right? Because I'm usually sleeping at night, but I would say anytime during the day, they want to call me up, ask questions. We're always open for that. We, we have an open door, open phone policy to make sure they really have understand the nuances of what's happening. Great. Well, Steve, you've been a great guest. I really appreciate your time and you sharing your expertise with the listeners. How can they get in touch with you? Well, so they can get in touch with us uh, either through our website, which is, of course, the ubiquitous www.spe1031.com. Or they can always, uh, and then you can, of course, you, our contact information is on that website, uh, our phone. And of course, our phone in Cincinnati, which is where we're located, our toll-free number, right? Because we like to give out the toll-free number because we have it. So that's the um, 877-395-1031. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. And I, I appreciate you and your time and, and you being with us today. I appreciate the listeners being with us today as well. 
and every day. I hope you all are back tomorrow. I hope you're sharing the show and learning and, and I hope your business is growing because of it. I hope you'll go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me, schedule a call, and also go to our Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, so we can all learn from experts like Steve and grow our businesses together. So we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.